0: You're integrating nutrition coaching, training, a new plan, goal, whatever. How is this going to interact with your priorities? Your family, your work, all these things. And how do we shift, create routines, so on and so forth. So it's kind of like going down the line of looking at all these different facets and then essentially building a routine that makes sense.
1: Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple. If you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body and create the energy to show up for your family, without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting, then you're in the right place. Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. I am your host, as always, Ben Brown, owner and head coach here at Body Systems, where we help high-performing men and women build a better body and create the energy to show up for their family, through our Pure Science Proven Results process. Now, if you are new to the show, then you'll be happy to know that our nutrition philosophy is about more than just restrictive meal plans and dogmatic dietary practices or simply counting your calories and your macros. It's about creating nutritional awareness so that we can help you change your belief system around what it means to be healthy by learning how to break the rules around conventional dieting so that you can lose weight, so that you can gain lean and strong muscle mass, and you can do it sustainably for life. And if you've been a longtime listener, then welcome back. I am honored to have you here and excited to share my interview with an incredible coach who has a very similar philosophy around creating long-term sustainable change by leveraging the science of data collection, the psychology of behavior change, and the art of coaching. Today, I catch up with Cody McBroom the owner of tailored coaching method tailored coaching method is a lifestyle coaching company that's focused on fitting the training and nutrition to the client and not the other way around in our conversation we talk about the similarities between running a successful business and building a lean and healthy body of course they both require time energy focus and prioritization but They also require ongoing data and adjustments based on reflection and improved awareness. Sometimes we have to go slow to go fast, and developing the skills and the tools around things like planning and preparation and time management, training intensity and volume, and understanding the vast array of nuances around the dieting process and seasons of change become the very levers that we can and do use to adjust and drive long-term success. We also talk about establishing clarity through educating our clients. We talk about creating structure through effective time management, chronic under-eating, under-tracking, and metabolic slowdowns and adaptation. We talk about setting realistic expectations versus actual commitments assessing the need for diet breaks and refeeds and when it's actually relevant to implement these things, as well as the role of stress and your personal life in your ability to adhere to the diet at hand. And finally, we finish with a quick discussion on GLP-1 agonists, weight loss drugs, and weight loss sustainability. So, this was a great conversation as always. I thoroughly enjoyed it, learned a lot as I'm sure you will as well. And assuming you did, then do me a huge favor, leave a positive rating and review, share this with someone whom you think could benefit. And uh, without further ado, here's Cody McBroom. Cody McBroom, welcome back to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show. How you doing, brother? Doing
0: well, man. Thank you for uh, having me back on to rerun this one and let's let's get it live this time let's you it. know
1: you know it so uh for everyone listening it's actually our second interview together uh however my dumbass with our first run through screwed something up and never really got the recording so i have the pleasure of conversating with cody again uh, you guys have the pleasure of hearing him for the first time which i promise will be worthwhile um it's been a while since we had a conversation what uh What's been going on with you,
0: man? um shoot i'm I believe last time we did it was in the spring i want I was trying to think I think it was like March, April, or May, one of those months, right? um Sounds fair, something like that, I think it was March, and uh since then, man, it's been just a lot of uh this year has been the year of systemizing everything um so as a business owner, you know, we passed the six year mark this year of, uh, online as an online coaching company. So tailored coaching method has been around for six years. Um, we didn't start as tailored coach method. That wasn't the name originally, but, um,
1: that was, you guys were, I, what was it? Boom, boom performance. Was that correct? Yep.
0: And it was just basically it branched off of my nickname. It was just, it was just me. And, uh, so I was a trainer before that, obviously. And, and then that's when I, six years ago, six and a half years ago, I started tailored coaching method. So we passed that mark this year, and I'm and it was one of those years where we, I really started kind of picking things apart and looking through systems, looking through structures, looking mm-hmm. through roles in my team, and it was like, okay, we're at that point where we're we're starting to truly mature. Which, you know, for young entrepreneurs and business owners is like, damn, six years and you're finally starting to mature. I'm still a baby, you know. Business yeah. is is a long game, so uh, we're we're at that place where we're looking at everything and systemizing just to make processes better for. Our clients, for my team, for the way we produce content, the way we repurpose content, the way we get our, our name out there and, and reach new people, just systemizing everything. Systemizing my day, looking at every hour of my day, what I do, how I do it, when I do it, what can I eliminate, what can I delegate, what can I automate. Like it's it's been a really really crazy year because at the beginning of the year I was confused on how to do any of the above. Yeah, halfway through the year had a lot of different personal things and responsibilities going on. Um, and I also decided that I was gonna prep for a physique show amidst it all. Of course. While running a business and trying to shift things and having a daughter and having personal stuff going on and um, some uh, a surgery within my family that I, I was really needed to be present for, all went well. But it was just a lot of different things that uh, made prepping for a show probably not the most logical decision. And as crazy as it sounds, that's why I did it. It wasn't at first, it wasn't like, I want to get back into the sport of bodybuilding. Now I do. But at the time I was like, I want to show every average dude out there who has a kid or kids who has a business, who's busy, who has a family, who has work to do, who's stressed out about other things. You can do it too. Like, not that you need to get on stage, but like you want to lose 20 pounds, you have no excuse. And the amount of people I had reach out to me, tell me that. It got them to get back on track, or they signed up to work with us because of it. Despite saying I never want to step on stage, but watching you do it with everything you have going on showed me that I can do the little goal that I have, and so mission accomplished. You know, and uh, so it's been a crazy year, man. It's been a crazy time since last time we talked, and we've a lot of things have changed, and a lot of cool things are being implemented and shifted, and in a good place.
1: It was. To be fair, it was March 29th, so yeah, you were spot on around March. So yeah, it, it's been a while, and that's uh, exciting for you. And you know, it's interesting. With I, I appreciate you bringing up just sort of looking into the business because I think, at least in our experience, and it sounds like perhaps with you as well, is you know those those first few years, kind of things are growing, and you're just kind of figuring shit out. It's like I don't know what we're doing, but we're growing, and we're plugging in, plugging things in, and um, and then you have the opportunity to start to reflect, which we're kind of doing right now uh, as well, and sort of digging into all the logistics. and It's like, okay, here's where we can absolutely be doing things, and I think along the way, you know, you're picking up like a lot of things that you know you could be be, be doing better, but perhaps th- through the ascension or the trajectory, it's like you know, it's stuff that we have to come back to, and and so for you to have the opportunity to do that is great. Um, I can appreciate that process, but I also think that, you know, I think to some degree it can kind of be analogous to perhaps a, a client journey as well. It's like, there's a lot of things that we can do initially that drive momentum, right? That drive progress. And oftentimes people get to this juncture where they might realize that things are kind of plateauing and they think that they need to continue to work as aggressively as they were working previously when oftentimes it might just be going back and looking at what they've been doing and making perhaps some slight adjustments. Do you does that resonate with you?
0: Yeah. Absolutely, man. I think even, even looking at what I was kind of saying with um in business, you know, automate, delegate, eliminate yeah. all those things and systems that need to be changed or holes that need to be patched in the boat or just things that could be done better. None of that can happen without first reflecting on what is happening right now, what is being done right now, the way things are being done right now. And the reason that's a great parallel to a client's journey is because oftentimes people will be at that plateau. They'll be stuck and they'll be confused and they're frustrated. But the reality is, is if you don't stop and reflect and assess, how do you know what to change? How do you know what next step to take? How do you know how to break through that plateau or fix the stall in your weight loss journey to get to the next step? You can't, right? And so That's right. I think one of the most value, valuable aspects of even just tracking macros, but let's really you know, boil it down tracking metrics as a whole, looking at your weight, looking at your, um, I'm not a huge fan of body fat scanning because right. the most time it's just really inaccurate, but right. measurements, tape measure, right? Um, right. You're, if you're a performance athlete, like are you doing a 2K row time or are you doing a max bench press, um, three rep max, amrap, whatever, some kind of performance metric. Are you doing progress pictures? Are you keeping all of this documented? Because if you're not, how do you know what to, to change? Right. And right. mind you, this isn't for the rest of your life. You have to weigh in every day, track your macros every day. Like, no, I'm saying you're either doing it so that when the plateau arises, you can adjust, or you're not doing it, but you want change. So it's time to start doing it because it creates awareness and awareness precedes change. Therefore, you cannot change without that awareness initially. Right. So I think even for myself with the business, it was getting to a point where I'm like, okay, I want to start accelerating things. But part of that means slowing down first because mm-hmm. I got a, uh, and this is a good parallel to like what we would call priming phase or, you know, in like physique world bodybuilding, they call it like a holding phase. And it's really like, we're just holding weight. We're maintaining, we're focusing on health. We're focusing on creating some standardization across the board, right? Let's control the variables. Let's make sure that, okay, you're doing some cardio, you're doing your steps, you're, you're, eating a certain way, let's keep things the same every day so that we can create a standard that we can assess and then adjust from. Because if every day is different, constantly changing, there's so many variables at play, it's going to be hard to to assess, adjust, and then accelerate forward, right? So, you know, for me, it was uh, doing a time audit. Every 30 minutes, I was writing, like, looking at what I did. And if I had a task that was longer than 30 minutes, I would come back after the task is done or at the end of the day, and I would write down everything I did all day It's a very tedious thing, but I promise you, by the end of a few days, I was like, wow, don't need to waste my time with that. That was a distraction. This gets in my way. I mean, I went as far, and this is a really good tip for anybody who's a coach. I, I, it ended up getting me to create a new email. So I have a new email address that nobody has. My team doesn't even have. The only people who have it are my clients, and I block everybody else from it because when I get to the office and I log into my email and I see, People um, basically sending us like spammy emails to right. like, try to pitch their their person to get on my podcast or a different supplement company that wants me to be affiliated with them or random questions that I do need to get to because they're listeners of the podcast or followers on Instagram stuff. I will answer them, but they don't take priority over my clients. It ends up just bogging me down. Yeah. I create a new email. I was like, okay, I have a rule. I'm not going to check that email until a certain time of day. right? And Then my assistant can go into that email and make sure that applications to work with us or like certain billing stuff that needs to be handled. She goes in the morning, she can look at those and answer those right away because it's immediate, but I don't need to immediately answer it. Totally. Right? So anyway, the point of that is is like I wouldn't have ever figured that out if I didn't take the time to, to, to do the tedious task of listing everything out. So macros, yeah. for example, it's kind of tedious sometimes, but if you want to change your physique, sometimes you got to do that for a little bit to figure out what needs to change. And if you can figure out what needs to change, you can change it. And if you can change it, you can reach a goal.
1: And you have perceived value there because you do understand that the importance of it, Mm -hmm. right? Which I think is the, you know, the coach's responsibility to help people understand why it's so important for them to be aware over all of these things. One of the biggest, and I'm smiling when you said that about the time audit, because it's something that I do. And we actually started having our clients do as well when the, when they're first initially coming into the program, because I'm sure you'll agree with me. You know, listen, we're talking about structure and systems. And for clients, it's one of the most important uh, facets of them being successful is being able to create structure in their day. Be able to create systems for how they can be consistent, right? Once we have the information around their tracking, their physical activity levels, how do we infuse it in a realistic way? You know, on that same vein, like what do you guys do with respect to your clients and helping them develop systems for, how to be successful, and then, I guess, what do the most successful clients do consistently?
0: Yeah, very similar. Um, it's, it's very parallel to what I do for myself, and it's very parallel to, parallel to what you kind of just mentioned in the early stages, and it's, it's teaching them the tactics, the strategies, all these things. Mind you, some of them might not all stick. Not everybody needs to follow every single tactic or habit. Everybody's different. But if we can lay out all the different strategies for time blocking, for eliminating distractions, for uh, creating priority lists. And, and on that note, like I actually read something the other day. It was really interesting. It was in the book. I'm rereading this um, essentialism. And he talked about how the actual root word was never made plural. It was just priority because your priority is one thing. one thing. And then, you know, I think in the early 1900s or something like that, they made it priorities and they started adding to it. And it's like, how do you have 10 priorities that none of them are priorities? That's a good point. You know, now I don't go that far because I would say, you know, we can have like top three priorities or whatever. But point is, is like if you have a priority list and so you can have these in different categories of your goals. So for me with work or even just my life in general, what's my priority list? Well, top priority is my wife and daughter, right? Well, and that means that any task or any interaction, any Anything that comes into my day-to-day environment or life, does it negatively impact priority number one? If it does, then I ignore it. It's not going to be a part of it, right? Most things don't because I don't put myself in that kind of environment. Then I go to the next one, my team. Then I go to the next one, my clients. Then I go to the next one, the members. Then I go to the next one. like It could be my content, then other individuals' content, right? So if I'm scheduling this interview with you and I'm pushing away my own content, That develops my own company, it's probably not a smart business decision, right? That's why we have to schedule around your priorities. Um, But for a client, looking at those priorities and just associating how things interact, right? It's like taking a new medication. Does this interact with ibuprofen? I should probably check that because I'm taking ibuprofen. I'm taking this vitamin or I'm taking fish oil. Is that going to interact? Is this a blood thinner? Like looking at it from that lens, you're integrating nutrition coaching, training, a new plan, goal, whatever. How is this going to interact with your priorities, your family, your work, all these things? And how do we shift, create routines, so on and so forth? So it's kind of like going down the line of looking at all these different facets and then essentially building a routine that makes sense. Nine times yeah. out of 10, it's not that we need to not pursue our goals or eliminate anything or restrict ourselves from doing something social or, or you don't need to like leave your job or find a new job just to pursue your goal or anything. We just have to adjust the plan to accommodate for your priorities and for your current life And it's going to come down to building a routine, looking at when you wake up, when you go to sleep, when you eat your meals, when you prep your meals, how many meals do you eat? When do you take vitamins and minerals? When do you stack these different habits? When are you getting your steps in? Like all of these little things is how we tailor the process, no pun intended, until we get to the part where it's smooth. It's a flow. It just makes sense. It's habitual. It's easy to follow. It's stress-free. They have a lot of buy-in and it doesn't create this um, lack of clarity and buy-in and trust, honestly, because I think that's the problem with a lot of coaches. They don't break down the how, they just tell them the what, maybe the sure. why, why this is important. Why Here's what you need to do. It. Yeah. Right. But if you don't explain the how and integrate that how, it's only a
1: matter of time before they realize it's unsustainable. Yeah. And it, listen, just like anything, I mean, it takes time and energy and you have to develop the skills to be able to plan and prepare and structure things appropriately. And so like, I, I agree with you, you know, a good coach. I mean, I was just on a call, with a client yesterday and we was legitimately like dude pull up chronometer let's just go through the day like let's just build it out right because it, it wasn't clicking around here's what you could do this that and the other how do we hit our protein goals meal by meal it's like let's just build it out what do you want to do you know what do you typically like to eat for for breakfast what are your top three proteins and we just built it out together and it's like oh it was clicking and i'm like okay i could totally do that and so it's obviously very nuanced but i think you know there, there's Really, just the collaboration there between the coach and the client to figure out how do we make it work in a relatively seamless way, but also the client understanding is like, as a priority, this is something that needs to evolve into my existing schedule. I'm not just going to be able to keep adding more stuff. Yeah, I I have to figure out, and that's where the time audit comes in. Of like, what can I say? Start saying no to, which I appreciate how you're building, uh, building things out. Um, Shifting gears a little bit. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about you guys is you're very science-driven, which is awesome um, and necessary, mind you. Um, and I think our, our listeners certainly appreciate that as well, based on the types of guests uh, that I have on the show. Um, I'd love to dive into some of the seemingly complex, just a couple of little complex aspects of the dieting process, uh, particularly talking about um, reverse dieting. Perhaps the idea of undereating and maybe metabolic adaptation. Um, and I think maybe just kicking things off with sort of the generalized idea of, well, I, you probably experience it as do I as we have clients who come in and say that they're not eating enough, and or we see food logs where, Perhaps it's reflected as they're not eating very significant amount of calories relative to their existing body size. How do you kind of approach those scenarios? When you say like, so we're talking about the client that comes, and this is very common, right?
0: I want to lose weight, but I'm not losing weight, and I think it's because I'm not eating enough.
1: It's a loaded question, um, to some degree, but I'm curious about your thoughts. So, correct the client. Perhaps they acknowledge that they're quote unquote not eating enough and or upon logging the they're displaying that they're under eating to some degree or their calories are, you know, significantly lower than where we would think they should be, especially considering they're overweight and not seeing progress. Yeah. Does that yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. As always, it depends, right? And there
0: I think there's a few different I would say avatars that I think of when, when we bring up this, this conversation or this specific question, the easiest is the person who is under eating during the week, overeating during the weekend. And I we all see this all the time. Yes. They probably are tracking accurately during the week and they eat very light, lean, healthy, quote unquote, low calorie. Um, and they may even lose some weight during the week. But it's a cycle of losing two pounds during the week, gaining it back on the weekend, and they just keep doing that, right? And when they present their issue to you as a coach, to the coach, they fail to acknowledge that the weekend gets out of hand. They like to think they have their bases covered. Um, And it's just, I mean, it's a very simple answer. Their weekly caloric average intake is at or above maintenance, and therefore, they cannot lose weight on a consistent week-to-week basis or month-to-month basis, right? If we eliminated going out and drinking alcohol and um, no tracking and stuff like that on the weekend for four weeks in a row, they lose a ton of weight. However, that also defeats the purpose or like that eliminates the idea of being able to teach them how to live their lifestyle and be flexible, which is why I don't jump to that route. Uh, There are strategies we can implement. We can get into that too, but we should be able to teach them how this is negatively impacting their results. Talk to them about why they want their results and see how, you know, go back to the priority is this result a priority for you? So we need to be able to balance the two. And maybe there is some, um, there's some, uh, we, we have to kind of barter with the client in a way. And, and what I mean by that is like, okay, you're going out Friday, Saturday, and then you say, screw it on Sunday because you're tired Then you get back on Monday. How about we go out Friday and Saturday and we really pull together on Sunday? Like let's work right. together here, right? Right. But the, you know, at the end of the day, this is the individual typically, not always, but a lot of times their expectations don't meet their commitment. So they're not committing at the level of the expectations they have for themselves. Meaning they expect to get great results because they're dieting during the week, but they're not committed enough and they fall off during the weekend and it puts them in this vicious cycle, which is mm-hmm. much more damaging and honestly just fatiguing than cutting some stuff out and getting the job done. Right? Um, right. And there's a way to fit alcohol and stuff into your macros. Obviously, we know this It's called flexible dieting. So there's, there's that scenario. Then there's the scenario of underreporting. And this is just the common person who is not educated on how to weigh or measure their food and how to use chronometer, my fitness pal, any kind of tracking app. They do not understand how to properly track their food. And um, I couldn't cite the actual study, but I know there's numerous studies that dive into this, and I want to say yeah. it's, it's well over 50 percent of people who report their food logs misreport, underreport their food, so they're eating more than what they actually report.. Yeah. Um, this could be with, um, I can think of somebody, I just had a consultation with um, a uh, professional athlete's parents actually. And uh, they brought me in to just help with them and some health issues and stuff. Conversation on the phone of what a day of eating looks like looked a lot different than when I had them fill out kind of like a time audit for their meals. right? Because I'm not looking at them through the screen, right? So now they can actually be honest on paper. And I'm like, oh, I didn't, you didn't mention anything about Coca-Cola. Now like that gets entered in, right? So there's certain things that just go without being said and go without being tracked. And therefore, they're eating way more calories than they realize. Um, so that's another person, which in that case, we simply have to first start by educating them about what has calories, what these calories do if we're not abiding by them, if our goal is weight loss. And how can we track everything to become more aware first then we can adjust from there and make simple things. And the beauty of that is if you frame it right, it's actually really simple. It's like, hey, the good news is is we could just switch from Coke to diet Coke and you're going to start losing weight. So we don't got to change anything else. Right. Right now, I want you to switch to diet soda and just be honest about the rest of your food. Don't yeah. change anything, you know, and now they're going to lose five pounds without changing anything else. And they get to be honest with me. That's, you know, music to their ears. Um, mm. so there's the under reporter. Then we get into the more complicated situations where maybe this person is a chronic dieter. And this is where I think gets more attention. And it's more exciting, it's a more sexy topic. It's like this person has chronically dieted to a point where there's been a severe amount of metabolic adaptation and they actually struggle to lose weight now. And this is where it gets exciting and sciencey and, and people really like to point the finger at this when it happens to them, but yeah, right. Uh, it's the least common scenario in my experience, um, as much as, I guess I wouldn't wish that it was, but like that's the exciting fun stuff, right? Like it's the science stuff for me, but it's just not that common. Um, and so there is times where this happens though. And, and a lot of times what we see here is these people also have, um, there's, there's different types of metabolism. You can dive into the the rabbit hole of like a thrifty metabolism or a makeshift metabolism. But essentially what we have here is we kind of have like hyper responders and under responders, and it, it can change depending on if we're talking about gaining or losing. But we all know like the classic scenario of, um, it's most common with women. They'll say like, I look at a cupcake. And I gain five pounds. My husband can eat the whole box and doesn't gain right. a pound. Well, he probably has, I believe it's a thrifty metabolism. I might be screwing this up because I don't use those terminology very often, but he has the type of metabolism that's very adaptive. So he eats and he moves, right? So when individuals who have this adaptive metabolism, they typically can reverse diet really easily. Um, they also struggle to gain weight. So if they're trying to build muscle or gain size, it can be difficult because they increase their calories and they naturally move more. They step more, they talk more, right. fidget more. They blink Mm -hmm. more. Some of it is involuntary that they can't control. Kind of
1: ramps up neat.
0: Yeah, ramps up neat across the board. And I would probably say that it also ramps up their training. It ramps up their intensity. And if you're intelligent with your programming in the gym as a coach, you can really take advantage of this. And you can take advantage of this on either ends of it. So the other person, however, ramps up calories and they don't ramp up everything else. So their neat doesn't go up. They just stay the same. Their BMR doesn't really change much. They just end up gaining some weight um and it's very frustrating and this is where some of these individuals we do have to look at and go okay so if you've been um I look at the intensity the frequency and the duration gauges of dieting is what I call it so it's like you know when you've dieted in the past how hard did you go like how aggressive mm-hmm. were you that's the intensity right. the duration is how long were you dieting for and the frequency the frequency is probably frequency and duration to me are the most important you're not going to be negatively impacted from being pretty aggressive from a diet unless it's extremely long But any individual whether they're in a moderate deficit or a large deficit if you're dieting for too long or you're dieting too frequently it's gonna it's gonna cause issues you know on your hormones your metabolism what what we can get you to respond to and so when we look at those we can determine like maybe this person is chronically dieted maybe they have some down regulation of some of these hormones and we want to treat that so we want to focus on a lot of different aspects but we're going to want to focus on ramping up calorie expenditure in easy ways while increasing calories, because the reality is, is if we can increase calories faster, we can repair this stuff quicker, but that's also going to potentially cause weight gain and that scares the person. But if we can casually, you know, ramp up even like the thermic effect of food, your intensity in the gym, I will program more volume as calories go up. So they're naturally doing an extra set here or there. They're pushing a little bit more load. I'm changing the exercise selection because I know that this is going to require them to be under more load and therefore more volume, they may not realize it. So their perception of it is that nothing's changing. It doesn't take them longer in the gym. But if I can just squeeze out more out of the calories we're taking in, they're going to see the best of both worlds. Um, Let's focus on sleep. Let's focus on digestion and gut health. All these things are tied together. Um, Let's focus on repairing your thyroid because that's probably going to take the biggest hit from a diet. Um, That was one of the lowest markers on my blood work post uh, competition because I went no surprise there, right? Exactly, that's probably the main driver as far as a hormone for your metabolism. But but point being is this individual actually has gone through metabolic adaptation and has that present. And that might be slowing their ability down from losing weight now because they've been so adaptive. Now, the point I wanna like finish with to make clear is that this does not mean that a calorie deficit doesn't work. This doesn't mean that this person can't lose weight. It means that their body has adapted to low calorie set points and they're gonna have to drop calories extremely low to see significant progress made, and that might not be sustainable or adherable, or it might cause detrimental effects to their lifestyle, to their health, and it's not worth it. So that person does need to go through a process to build their metabolism up, and that's not a quick thing. You know, it's not as simple as, hey, let's take a diet break or some refeeds and boost your metabolism. It doesn't work like that. And this is why as you increase calories, whether you go slow, which a lot of people frown upon now or fast. I'm still a fan of going slow in certain situations because the psychology aspect is very important here. And there's a lot of everyday people who A, don't get lean enough to worry about going slow being an issue because a lot of that context is discussed around bodybuilders. Or two, if you increase their calories too fast and they gain more than a pound in that first week or two, even if it's normal, they freak out. And if they freak out and leave, they're gonna go do something way more harmful. So take the slow route if you need to. But point being is we take that route and we build up all these things, let's build up their activity, let's build some muscle, let's increase their knee. let's improve their sleep, digestion, hormones, um, their micronutrient density, water, like just improve everything slowly but surely. All of these things might contribute one to 5% difference to their metabolism, right. but they do contribute. And once you reestablish that baseline over a period of time, then you can return to the diet and they will respond because you have boosted their metabolism, quote unquote. It's mm-hmm. just that, you know, Boosting your metabolism is such a cheesy concept because most people think of it like drink some green tea and you're going to boost your metabolism.
1: It's not like that. Like this is a long duration process. So, Hey guys, I want to interrupt this conversation briefly with an exciting announcement. If you're a father and struggling to lose the pounds that have crept on over the years, I understand your challenge. You're juggling a successful career, a loving family, and now you're looking to regain that energy and physique that seems to have slipped away. And that's exactly why I created PrimeFit Operating System. PrimeFit OS is a unique hybrid coaching program designed specifically for men like you. Now, you guys know me. We're not about quick fixes or impossible routines. Instead, we focus on real sustainable change through personalized nutrition and science-driven strength training, all wrapped up in a supportive community with expert guidance, Directly from me and my 20 years of experience working with men just like you. Imagine mastering your nutrition without restrictive dieting. Getting stronger and leaner and boosting your overall energy all without overwhelming your already busy schedule. With Prime Fit OS, you're getting more than just a cookie cutter nutrition and fitness plan. You're embarking on a transformative journey that fits into your life, not the other way around. So... If you're ready to take the first step towards a healthier, leaner, stronger, more energetic, confident, ass-kicking you, join us over at Prime Fit Operating System. Trust me, guys, your family, your career, and most importantly, you will thank you for it. So if you guys are interested in getting started and want to find out more about the program, let's chat. Just head over to primefitos.com forward slash call and grab a time on my calendar. Remember, it's your time to be at your prime. Very well articulated and and I like the nuance in there. Obviously, it really does depend on a number of factors, but I appreciate that you brought up how it's really the least common of all of the things that we see is someone truly has chronically dieted themselves into a position where, um, you know, there's there's this just this overt level of resistance. Um, I do believe that. A lot of people have chronically dieted, how much it's impacted their metabolism, we don't really know. But regardless, like regardless, it's not an excuse to not develop the skills and the behaviors around eating, you know, the right things, eating more protein, moving your body more frequently, strength training, getting more sleep, improving the quality of your food, right? Like all of the things you would do regardless. Right? Yeah. so re- so regardless of the situation you're doing all the same stuff I mean we re- recently had a client who she was diagnosed with low thyroid and you know she's like well she she wanted to she was suggesting that she didn't need coaching anymore because her thyroid was keeping her from losing the weight um and she should just work with her doctor around those things yet in reality she's you know, not consistently, um, hitting protein goals, not consistently moving her body enough to move weight in the first place, regardless of whether or not the thyroid's an issue. And and I think it's just shifting that mindset around things, right? hundred percent. Um, I, I it's a, it's a, I'm
0: glad you brought that up because I have a few things I can touch on with that too. Um, I actually asked our, um, So on our team, we have a chief science officer. His name's Dr. Brandon Roberts. Uh, He's a researcher in the field. So he's just- I know who he is, yeah. He's on our staff just to educate, right? And just help our team always stay on top of things. If we get blood work, we can run it by him, stuff like that. But uh, one of the questions I asked him, I believe on one of our podcasts together, was how long does it take for metabolic adaptation to start taking place? Like Mm -hmm. when you start a diet, at what point does metabolic adaptation really like take effect, you know? Okay, we know that the biggest- uh, factor is usually neat. That's the biggest thing that changes and drops, right? Um, when does this take place? When does this happen? And he said, most research points out to about three weeks. So three weeks into the diet, it kicks in. Doesn't mean like you're going to come to a screeching halt after three weeks of a deficit. It just means your body starts to, you know, for lack of better terms, kind of say, Oh, okay. I see what you're doing here. I'm going to start catching up. Um, and it's different for everybody. We don't know this for sure, but he, would, he mentioned that he would assume it's the same in the reverse. So if we are bringing calories up, we're probably going to start seeing those adaptations occur after about three weeks, right? Well, that also means that if we jump calories up right out the gate and you don't start moving immediately and burning off that fuel and you gain a few pounds, it's normal because it's glycogen storage, but your body needs a little bit of time to start reversing. It also gives us credence to say like, hey, maybe we adjust a little bit and we wait a few weeks because we want our body to catch up. We don't need to rapidly just go, go, go. Or if we do need to bump up carbs by, for a random number, 60 grams right away, and that's the calorie amount we need to bump up to like really fix these hormone issues, but this person's going to freak out if we add 60 grams of carbs. Maybe we spread that out and we adjust every 10 days by 20 grams, and it takes us just over three weeks to do it. You yeah, know? you know. So there's strategies when you understand this stuff, but um, I think that it allows that context to help you go through that process. And then with the thyroid stuff too, um, this is not a shot at any doctor or anything, what I'm going to say, because there's good doctors, there's doctors right. who I wouldn't even say are bad. They're not bad people or anything, but there's a lot of doctors who they're getting to a point in their career where they don't care to stay up to date on the research. So let's just say that, right? And they're not nutritionists. They're just, they're doctors. So they just give you the, they come in for 15 minutes, they tell you what you need to tell you and they leave. So uh, using your doctor for what you're suggesting is probably not the right route. Using you guys as nutrition coaches is the right route. And a good example of this is... um I have a client, uh, I've, I've worked with a lot of people that have hypothyroidism because it's a very common thing. And there's very a much, type yeah. of hypothyroidism that is called Hashimoto's, but it's very similar. And so um, I've run into this multiple times. And, and in general, hypothyroidism, they do see about, a, I want to say it's like 10 to 15% slowdown in the metabolic rate. Because hypothyroidism, that's a hormonal dysfunction. Hashimoto's is a autoimmune related. Autoimmune, right. Right. So either way, that, those might be things that are genetically predisposed that you can't change. But if we know that you have a 10 to 15% slowing of the metabolism, we know that you're probably going to have to create a bigger deficit to lose weight. So it's not that you can't lose weight. It's that you have this condition that forces us to drive calories lower, which might mean we take a more aggressive approach, implement more diet breaks and prolong the diet period. More like a matador study for, you know, if we need to like, let's extend it, do it sustainable and have more breaks in between for adherence purposes more than anything, because it's hard to follow a low calorie diet. But I have a client um, who's been with me for a couple years now. We're on to different goals, and she's lost a bunch of weight. And she's um, she came to me, and she had Hashimoto's, and she had talked to her doctor, and she had this list of food she can't eat because she has Hashimoto's. And if you have Hashimoto's, you can't have dairy, you can't have this, you can't have that, all these different things. I think there was like so many random things on there, and. There was a lot of things um, that limited or eliminated calcium, for example, and people with Hashimoto's actually need more calcium than the average person. And so like, but what I did with this individual is because, you know, they listen to a doctor and the doctor's a doctor. So that doctor's got to be right. I was like, Hey, I'm not saying your doctor's a bad person, but I think they're giving you misinformation. And I want to show you why you don't have to limit all this stuff. We need to create a bigger deficit than normal to lose the weight. Yes. You don't need to rely on, um, different medications and stuff like that. Like obviously you can take some thyroid medication if needed, but I want to show you what we can do. And I actually pulled out a, uh, a meta analysis on Hashimoto's related dieting and it broke down all. And for people listening, a meta analysis is like a study of all studies. So it took, it takes all the studies on topic. And this was all the studies taken about the topic of what foods to integrate into a diet for somebody with Hashimoto's. And I literally, I think it was 90% of the foods that she was quote, unquote, not supposed to eat. I showed her she could eat and why she could eat it. And in fact, some of them literally showed evidence to support and improve the symptoms of Hashimoto's. But it was because I pulled out the meta-analysis and I showed her one by one in a loom video as I'm breaking down her diet. I was like, this is why you need this. This is why you should have this. This one you can keep out. This one is very individually dependent. Hashimoto's can be associated or correlated with gluten intolerance, but gluten intolerance, like Hashimoto's isn't caused by gluten, right? So, totally. If this bugs you, you don't have to eat it. But if it doesn't, you're totally fine. And this is how you can tell if it bugs you. And so, like, I went through the list. Um, and I say all this to say, like, there's always value in having that second opinion or that second eye or digging deeper into the research because, you know, she doesn't need to go into the weeds or become a nutritionist or a science person in order to understand this. She just needed somebody like me who values the science to show her what is the truth behind her body, her autoimmune-related disorder, her thyroid, her results, what she wants, and how we're going to get there. And I created a level of buy-in and trust that allowed me to build consistency in her. And she lost a ton of weight
1: because of it. Mm-hmm. You know, And she'd been struggling to lose weight. So just a little random rant on- Well, you can't make, I mean, it's just not appropriate to make blanket statements around conditions either, specifically with nutrition. Like We know the vast array of nutritional protocols and how different people respond under different conditions and so it's like right. listen the biochemical individuality so you're giving her the tools to become her own best nutrition detective and figure out okay like what what actually does work for me uh, based on the nutrition the nutrients that I actually need you know to to perform to feel good yeah and i think that's you know the best that we could do and and why there's so much value in nutrition coaching for clients, because it's obviously so much more than just nutrition coaching. I mean, it's it's having um, you know a support system um, around all of this stuff where we we really just don't outside of, of yeah. those things. And that's
0: you know, you know, what I mean, sorry to cut you off, but that's in, like to your point again with your clients. Like that doctor's not checking in with them all the time right. outside right the doctor's office, but you guys are right. And on top of that, too, like people have to understand that you know, and this goes beyond the context of the. I mean, there's some crazier diets that doctors will put people on because it's easy to say, Hey, just do this. And then I'll see you in a couple of months. And you know, this applies to paleo. It applies to all kinds of stuff. Because if I tell somebody, Hey, follow this diet and the diet protocol is essentially just eliminating a bunch of stuff like this one was, what's going to happen. They're probably going to fall into a calorie deficit, at least for a little while. No, totally. They don't know how to eat anything else. They, you cut out a bunch of stuff and it's like, well, now what, you know? So. I think, you know, to your point in in what you guys do versus doctor, it's like it it does allow that accountability for sure, but it also allows an approach that's not just a sneaky way of getting somebody to cut out a bunch of foods.
1: Um, On the topic of metabolic adaptation, um, because you guys do a good job, at least I've heard you speak uh, about diet breaks and, and refeeds and kind of pay attention to, you know, adaptations and plateaus and we know dieting is all about stimulus and adaptation and obviously any change is uh any any change that we want to create and so what are kind of a couple of the things briefly that you guys look at to help you determine for example if a client is working to lose weight and um you know perhaps they're they're suggesting or we're seeing that they might be in a bit of a plateau Uh, What are the things that you're taking into consideration when you're looking at, okay, it might be time for a diet break. It might be time for a refeed, um, you know, generally speaking.
0: Yeah. So the first thing I'm going to do is kind of go back to what we discussed with um, kind of auditing, right? And creating uh, a standardization. So, And I say standardization because I often tell people like, hey, if we're at a plateau, the first thing I should see when I look across your macros, your tracker, your your biofeedback, all is consistency. If I see spottiness in your tracker, if I see that, you know, your carbs are at, let's say just for easy math, 200, but I see like 150, 250, 175, 220, like it's just everywhere. I know that you're eating different things day to day, which is fine, but there's a lot to be said about eating the same food day to day to create a standard to make sure that we're not actually at a plateau. So the first thing I'm going to look at is their consistency throughout the diet. If it's spotty. they're eating different things day to day if uh they are being overly flexible so they're eating out for lunch all the time but it right. fits their macros i want to kind of investigate a little bit i want to spend time putting a magnifying glass to it and see, seeing like okay i'm not telling you you can't go eat out but let's see where you're eating out let's see how accurate you are with tracking let's see like where's you know let's have a conversation how accurate is this then i will look at Um, trying to get them to follow more of a meal plan structure. And and the reason I'm doing these things is one, I can't adjust a diet that's inaccurate. I just can't because we're making an adjustment off of inaccuracy. So it's going to be inaccurate adjustment. It's just not a waste of time for everyone to even attempt it. Exactly. Especially if if the person can't adhere to the current calories, why would I drop them lower? That's not going to work. But what I will do is, is I want to look through all that and then I will try to get them to follow a meal plan, even if it's like for a week or two. And so if somebody, some clients do, I think meal plans get a bad rep, but I have a lot of clients that prefer it. Cause it just, it simplifies it. If they're busy and they're like, Hey, if I can eat the same thing every day and then just change up a little variables for dinner when I'm with the fam, that would make my life so much easier. And it's like, cool. There's a lot of different veggies, a lot of different starches, a lot of different proteins that all have around the same macros per like ounce or, or gram of weight. So let's swap those out for dinner as much as you want. And then let's just eat the staple breakfast, lunch, snack, whatever. It makes life easier. But if I can get them on a very, uh, a very static, essentially standardized meal plan, even for the first week to assess before I break through this plateau, quote unquote one, sometimes they start losing weight and I go, okay. So either a, you were inaccurately tracking and measuring beforehand. B, maybe there was some gut issues and just food just wasn't adjusting well with you. Your routine was out of place, whatever it may be. Um, or C, you just got more diligent. It just made you more focused on good quality food, easier to track food because maybe you were spot on with your macros, but you eat so much processed food or food out that you're not really spot on in your macros because we know there's a margin of error on food labels yeah. and, in, and obviously in restaurants. So that's the first step. Like Let's create the standardization. Let's say they already have, that's what they're doing already, or we create that and still no wiggle room. At that point, we assess kind of going back to those dials, intensity, frequency, and duration. How long have they been dieting for? How aggressive are we being right now? Um, Not so much frequency unless we're implementing diet breaks throughout that. Overall, I'm trying to look at their diet fatigue. You know, in two categories, like I actually had a podcast question that was similar to this that I answered on our show yesterday. And the individual was dieting for nine weeks and they were stuck at a plateau for the last two weeks and they were trying to figure out how to adjust. And one of the things I said was, It also depends on how many adjustments have happened up until this point. So if we have the person where we put them in a deficit week one and for nine weeks straight, we didn't adjust the diet because they're just coasting. I probably don't need a diet break unless they're super stressed out or something has changed in their life because that they've just adapted to it. Like, let's just drop calories a little bit or add some cardio or increase their steps, do something to make a bigger deficit, carry on versus the person who we went into a deficit, it didn't work, we went to a bigger deficit, it finally started working, but it, it, they adapted quickly because they have that type of metabolism. So I adjusted again. Now we're nine, 10, 11 weeks in, they're still not their goal, but we've adjusted three or four times. They are a little bit fatigued. I'm probably gonna take a diet break. So there's a level of this that I, I look into the psycho- psychological aspect of, if they've been dieting a while and they're psychologically taxed from the diet or their diet's not the problem, their personal life is either way. That's stress it. is stress, right? It doesn't really matter. I'm probably going to like my goal is to eliminate one of the stressors. So I either a have to give them a deload in the gym, I have to give them a diet break, um, or potentially try to coach them on some mindset stuff. But I can tell you what, if you have stress in your marriage, in your work, or anything like that, I can give you advice. But I'm not a counselor, and I also can't guarantee that it's going to fix any issue. The best I can do is help you manage or mitigate or, or just handle the stress by giving you a little more food. So let's bump up calories for a week, you know? So in doing that, we're going to drop cortisol. Um, a lot of times what they find actually, even with cortisol, like cortisol is going to retain a little bit of water, but it's very rare to see somebody actually store body fat because of cortisol. Cortisol is a breakdown hormone will actually help burn fat for fuel. Um, it also can burn muscle. That's why we have to be careful with it and having prolonged periods of high cortisol. But the reason people gain weight from high cortisol is actually because stress causes overeating. And so when cortisol is yeah, high, it's their stress, behaviors for sure. Exactly. Right. So um, if I can stop them from overeating, which we'll, we'll, won't will get reported as we discussed earlier, then I, that's the, the purpose of the diet break. Right. Um, anyway, like the point is, is that it, it really depends on those two things more than anything. If I'm going a diet yeah. break or adjusting their calories deeper. Um, and then the only other thing I would add is that there's times where we need to d- either drop calories or increase expenditure. And then it's a decision of, do I add cardio or do I drop calories? And I think that first comes down to asking the client, would you rather do some cardio or me take away food? And just personality-wise, there's two different types of people. There's the person that's like, load me up with cardio, man. I don't, don't take my food. And then there's a okay. person's like, I do not want to step on a treadmill. I'm, I'm not that hungry. Take my food away. Right? So it's, it's very personality-driven. Ask the client, they'll have better adherence. And then More specific than that is kind of like how low their calories already are. Maybe you don't want to take calories because they're already low. Maybe, um, there's, it has something to do with maintaining more muscle tissue. If we can do cardio completely separate to their workout while keeping calories high, you might be able to maintain more muscle during the deficit because we're keeping calories high and carbs up. So training performance can stay elevated. Right. Um, and that gets a little more specific to more of like a physique focus Yeah. I mean, you're you're working client. with a
1: different animal when you're asking those questions. And I think, you know, generally, at least for the people listening to this, is like it really is a lot more psychology related. And oh, I think everything that we're coming back to is just is the psychology around this stuff. It's like, listen, you know, the the reality is your metabolism isn't broken. Like yep. it's functioning just the way it's supposed to. And um, you probably need to get a little more clarity around your daily behaviors, the food, amount of food you're actually consuming, how accurate you're tracking, especially on the weekends relative to your weekdays, you know, what's your training and overall movement look like? And then, you know, with respect to like you said, and it, that's exactly what I was digging for, you know, with the question, um was really just it's probably not that you need a diet break per se. in fact, in my Experience, um, they usually find their way in, um, you know, just through holidays and through uh, vacations, and and then yeah. if we find that the client's blowing themselves up, you know, throughout the week, and it's like, okay, it might be something that we strategically infuse in um, in terms of just having a, a higher calorie day as a psychological reprie- reprieve. It's not doing anything metabolically; it's just simply helping you be more consistent on the rest of the days while giving you some of the things that you're going to end up cheating on for lack of a better term anyways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Most, I mean, basically
0: all research has pointed to that exact thing. It's, it's primarily psych- psychological and you know, something that's easy for a client to, to help them understand this too, is like, if you asked an everyday person to look at a plate of whole food and it, that whole food was the same amount of calories as like a Snickers bar and the Snickers bar was on a plate and you say, Hey, you know, like which one's healthier. They obviously know, you know the plate yeah. of whole food. Also, like, which one do you think burns more calories? You know, from you eating, and they're probably going to point at the full plate of food because it's way more food. But if they're the same calories, they're going to burn the same amount. Of, like you're going to, you know what I mean? It's the same exact yeah. aspect of food, and it's the same amount of calories you're going to burn. Maybe a slight difference because the thermic effect of food, effect but, food right. but we know that's a pretty small degree, right? And processed food is going to burn a little bit less, but it's not that much of a difference. So people who have just a little biter here and there, they have a little snack, or they just add a little oil. They don't understand that that little bit is so calorie dense that it will slow you down from losing weight. Your metabolism's not broken. Nothing's going on that's crazy here. It's just you have calories sneaking in, and they're dense calories that are preventing you from staying
1: in that deficit, and that's stopping you from losing weight. There's just a massive disconnect around the expectations around what people think they need to do to lose, and what they actually need to do. And the and I think the biggest thing is just the degree of consistency. Yeah right? Mm -hmm. That's the biggest factor that's keeping them in. It's like, obviously, we want to help them learn how to track, be accurate, create awareness, improve their behaviors, and then it's just playing the long game. Um, I do want to jump into just a couple timely things. I'm very interested in uh, maybe what you guys are experiencing in your coaching business. If you guys have any experience with any of the GLP-1 or GIP agonists, so um, semaglutide, like Ozempic, Monjoro which is terzapatide. um are do you guys have clients using those? How are you communicating with clients around those things
0: yeah, so we uh we actually did a whole podcast on these different weight loss drugs uh, with our chief my chief science officer, so I would recommend people go listen to that because he is way more um I mean that's his job he does research review. He works for uh, a research review as well as uh, the military doing research studies, so like he is in the weeds of this stuff um I, I won't be somebody who can like articulate the massive difference between the different ones. Um, but I can speak on them a bit. Um, we do have some clients on them, uh, and not by choice necessarily like our choice. Like we didn't recommend them, but there are a couple of clients that have them, not very many. And the reason is because they are doctor prescribed and most of the research, and I would say this too, weight loss drugs like this, they're not new. They've been around for a long time. Right. Um, it's just that they come out. And then we realize that they're not sustainable and then they go back to the drawing board and then they come out and they realize they're not sustainable and they go back to the drawing board. And the reason they're not uh, sustainable is typically because they're just massively effective appetite suppressants. So it's great. It can be great potentially for somebody who is very, very obese. Um, you can take these, it will significantly reduce your cravings and your appetite, and you will be able to lose a lot of weight. Problem with that is is when you stop taking it, your appetite will increase again. Now, if somebody is 350 pounds and drops down to 200 pounds their appetite will increase afterwards but it's not going to increase and cause them to gain all that weight back versus some of the people that inquire about this stuff that are trying to lose 20 pounds you will gain that weight back and potentially more because if you actually get a doctor to prescribe it for you and your insurance covers it I promise you once you reach your goal weight they're not going to continue to prescribe that for you and it's extremely expensive so you don't want to continue to take it um we have had a client as well who um, had pretty bad thyroid issues. And she was prescribed uh, semaglutide Um, and it was effective, but reversing her out of that was difficult. Um, And like lowering the dosage slowly and trying to reverse out of that while increased calories, it's difficult. But for the most part, like I I do think that peptides in general, um, I've had a, a peptide researcher and Dr. Dr. Rand McLean on the podcast, and it was a really popular episode. Great guest. Um, It's, it's a very, very interesting topic. And there's so many different types of peptides that could potentially be um, very helpful for right. a lot of different reasons. Um, Injury, growth hormone, when it's actually needed from a medical perspective um, or longevity and, you know, increasing the lifespan of somebody who just wants to like kind of biohack their age. Um, But for the most part, the weight loss ones, uh, it, it seems to me that most of them are just appetite suppressants that are extremely effective. They do work, but I don't advise them for anybody who's not dangerously obese, because I do think the aftermath is going to be an issue for most people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious. I mean, um, I think uh, generally, you know, it's probably not a great idea. It's like, it's, it's a different story. If it's, listen, if we're trying to really get some momentum and someone's really struggling, it could be, could be something that would make sense. If someone has, you know, some, some really issues with, food with their food intake and controlling themselves around food and the amount of food that they consume again just to help them get some momentum i can see justification and listen neither of us are doctors anyway so it doesn't really matter what we think but just in working with clients um i think the most important thing is like listen if you're if you're utilizing those weight loss drugs great i hope you're 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 seeing good results but also just making sure that Just like we talked about with the thyroid issue is like, listen, you still need to be focusing on the foundational pillars here around moving your body enough, making sure you're eating enough nutrients, getting enough protein, strength training and supporting lean muscle tissue, improving your structure and systems around your scheduling and being able to truly prioritize yourself amongst all of those things. And so I can see it as a massive lever in that capacity um, to really help you kind of get your shit together, so to speak. But, um. Yeah. Anyways, it's just interesting stuff, but dude, uh, we could go on all day. I, I really want to um, respect your time, especially because this is the second time around. So we'll have to make it uh, a 3 in another six months or so. Um, Cody, where can people find out more about you?
0: Yeah. Um, absolutely down to come back on, man. It's always a great conversation. So thank you for, for bringing me back. Um, I, uh, we put out a lot of free content. So everything is at tailoredcoachingmethod.com um, where we have a free blog, free guides. Uh, you can access all the stuff, coaching, all that. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Cody McBroom. I typically post every day. The podcast is the Tailored Life podcast. We usually air one to two episodes a week. Um, the Tailored Trainer is our app uh, where you get daily workouts. And uh, all that is really just, you know, uh, an extension of the free content. So we put out free valuable information first. And then when somebody uh, wants a little bit more they go download something for free or coach with us or do whatever but um yeah go check
1: out the free content and just get some value beauty well you guys heard it here uh, all the information's in the show notes below so make sure you check it out um, and uh, cody dude thank you very much for coming back on always a pleasure uh, i'm just nodding my head you know the whole conversation here because we're speaking the same language so i uh, very well articulated and I appreciate. Appreciate it, and uh, dude, we'll we'll speak again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. Four, leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple.